China. All right, let's look in Daniel chapter 1. You should have a copy of the lesson. If you need a copy, you need to slip your hands up and the men will bring that by to you. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, while you're opening up there, uh, the annual church uh, reports are out in the hallway there in the foyer. Uh, you want to grab one of them and read through that, be able to see what the Lord's been doing this past year and also has the information in there for our budget and all that for the new year. So uh, you take that with you and be praying and asking the Lord to uh, impress on your heart what we need to do for the new year, what we can trust God to accomplish through us. Uh, lesson plan that we have tonight is having a greater influence. And uh, we ought to be uh, influencing the world in a greater way than the world influencing us. And so Daniel certainly understood that and and uh, we want to go through and just look at some principles that we can see in his life as he is taken in captivity into Babylon. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Je uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand uh, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, uh, the master of the eunuchs, uh, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge uh, uh, and understanding science and, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace of whom they might teach the learning of, and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily portion of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourished them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, of whom the princes of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael uh, 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 Shadrach Meshach. I can't, I can't say the names without saying them in a line, you know. Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. It's like trying to find a book in the Bible. You have to memorize it. In <laughs> I'm like, it wouldn't come out. Woo! Azariah, Abingo, Abend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There we go. Amen. And Daniel purposed in his heart, praise the Lord. Uh, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort. Then shall you be, uh, I'm sorry, then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, uh, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and uh, let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
And uh, then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat as, as thou seest deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and approved them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar uh, took away the portion of their meat and the wine they, had, they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had uh, said he should bring them in, the, the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among the, all, them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers uh, that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. And so verse 17 is our text verse that we're going to build around. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So having a greater influence. It's for sure to see as you read through chapter 1 of Daniel that uh, there was an influence in Babylon and the greatest influence was uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, as they would uh, gain the wisdom of God and the blessings of God upon them because of uh, not refusing to defile themselves with the king's table. So first of all, just a few introductory thoughts here. We have to consider the people uh, that are the key characters in this passage. And so in your fill-in, there's the people. There's Jehoiakim. You start off right off the bat in chapter 1, reading about Jehoiakim. And I gave you a cross-reference here. You can go back and look that up and do, as you do your studies. But Jehoiakim uh, was a wicked king. Uh, he taxed the people heavily. And uh, he taxed them heavily on the land because of the fact that he had to pay tribute to Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And uh, they paid tribute also uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. And so there is a progression here, Jehoiakim having to play, pay Pharaoh of Egypt. And Nebuchadnezzar comes into power and he has to pay Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And uh, Babylon uh, conquered Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. And uh, literally Nebuchadnezzar would send or would take these uh, Jews and bring them in exile into Babylon. And that's where we're at in chapter 1 of Daniel. And uh, uh, they're brought in as uh, taken out of their homeland as prisoners, as really spoils of the victor of taking over uh, the uh, land. So we see some of the people that are involved in the story. We see, number two, the place. Uh, the place where they're at is they're in Babylon. Uh, now, Babylon had its beginnings in Genesis chapter 10 
when it talks about Nimrod being a mighty hunter and a builder. And uh, so Babylon had his beginnings all the way back, uh, recorded for us in chapter 10 of Genesis. But Babylon has, in the scriptures has always represented uh, worldliness or wickedness. And so when we talk about the world, we can associate the world as being Babylon. And so realize this, when, when these Jewish children were taken captive into Babylon, I mean, it was not a pleasant experience. And all the vileness and all the wickedness that the world can have upon it uh, was experienced and uh, witnessed by these uh, Jewish children that were taken and in, in Daniel as he's there in Babylon. So Babylon's a significant place uh, in reference to what is going on in Daniel's life. The other significant place is Jerusalem. You can see that in your notes. Jerusalem was the city of David. It was the holy city. It was a place where the first temple uh, was built. And uh, certainly uh, it was a place where uh, the children of Israel would bring sacrifices and worship their gods. But now Jerusalem has been besieged and the people have been taken captive. And so I, I saw this quote I came across about Jerusalem. It says, during its long history, Jeruz Jerusalem has been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, and captured and recaptured 44 times. And people say, well, I don't believe there's a God in heaven. Well, just look at Israel, look at Jerusalem, and how God has protected and has always had a remnant to be able to continue his promises that he made to Abraham. And so it's a, two major places dealing with this whole situation of Daniel being uh, taken into Babylon. Uh, and then we see in uh, um, uh, verse 2, that the pure, I just pull, call it the pure, pure, says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. And I thought this was interesting. He says, With part of the vessels of the house of God. And so those vessels that were pure vessels being a part of ministering before the Lord, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 4, they were consecrated unto God. Now that which is pure is being brought into a place that is defiled. And uh, there's some practical applications we're going to make here in a moment. But, you know, we're supposed to be pure with the, our God. We're supposed to be pure in our relationship and our walk in this world. But the world is always wanting to capture us and bind us up and bring us in and defile us. And so there's the people, there's the place, there's the pure. Number four is the plan. In verse three and four, the plan was to take these that were fair children, these that were wise, these who were skillful, and create in them the ability to gain more information, to be able to uh, uh, interpret dreams, and to be able to be uh, uh, really consumed with everything that Babylon needed them to do and to be. The world's plan is always to capture our thoughts, and to make us like them. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8, we know verse 8 especially, Paul tells us you need to be aware that we're not ensnared by the world. Literally means to be captured by the world. And the world is always about indoctrination. And uh, you look at our educational systems today, they're more about social engineering than they are teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
And uh, it's why? Because the world wants to make everybody conform to what they perceive life should be. And the plan was that these Jewish children that were brought into Babylon was that we we're going to indoctrinate them and, and prepare them to be leaders and be wise in all the ways of Babylon. And so the plan, there is a process. Notice in verse 5, the king appointed them a daily provision of uh, the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourished them three years, and that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So the process was daily influence over a lengthy period of time. So he said that he was going to have their meat, the king's meat, the king's wine. There was going to be a three-year time period. And so this daily influence and this constant impression upon them to cause them to conform to who they, uh, Babylon was. And, uh, and the, listen, the devil's always willing to put in the time. He's always willing to invest uh, all his resources in order to try to con capture our thoughts and capture our lifestyle and capture our children. I uh, like what John MacArthur said, worldliness is any preoccupation with or interest in the temporal system of life that places anything perishable before that which is eternal. And you can sum that up with just a basic thought that, wait a minute, uh, worldliness is whenever we look at something that is perishing in this world and to the point of neglecting that which is eternal in heaven. We as Christians live differently than the way the world lives. Our focus is different. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that they could not, or should not, I should say, should not focus on what the king was offering them to supposedly succeed in Babylon. And they were willing to commit themselves completely to their God and realize they had something more powerful and more influential than what the world has. And they were going to impact the world in which they lived. And we want to be able to be an influence. So notice, first of all, there's a very decisive, you can see in your notes, decisive decision but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So a decisive decision, letter A is just simply this, a dedicated purpose. He purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. And so what is the dedicated purpose? The little asterisk there is just simply to be consecrated. And uh, we, we, we must, we, listen folks, we really must teach our young people uh, that they've got to make decisions that are eternal decisions and make decisions that no matter what the world does, they need to be consecrated unto God. They need to be holy. They do not have to succumb to the world. Uh, the, the problem in Christianity in the, in the last several years is we have been duped to think that we must mold ourselves to the pattern of what the world is in order to be able to influence the world for Christ. And the reality is we never influence someone with, to Christ when we defile ourselves with the things of the world. 
We have a generation of young people that think that it's okay to copy what the world is. They're, they're absolutely consumed with that thought process. And then we wonder why uh, they're turning away from the Lord. They have to make a decisive decision that they're going to learn more about Jesus Christ and live according to his plan and his purpose in their life than anything else in life. And uh, we, I, I think sometimes we sell the young people short uh, because, listen, if generations in the past could make a decision to live for God and be separated from the world and consecrated holy before God, then why can't the generation right now do the same thing? And so uh, he was very decisive. He, he wasn't trying to fit on both sides of the fence. He was very direct. This is what I want to do. This is my decision I made. I'm not going to defile myself with what you have on the king's table. So dedicated purpose. Notice there was a rejected portion. Uh, he this, this uh, purpose was, I will not defile myself, and here it is, with the portion of the king's meat. And so a rejected portion, he said, I don't care what you're offering me, king. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to partake it. I'm rejecting that. So what does that simply mean? That just simply means to be separated. And to be separated just simply acknowledges the fact that we're not going to be joined to this world. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And it uh, says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And uh, we're living in a very difficult time, I think, in history in reference to the believers in Christ. And because we think we can't get ahead unless we compromise and yoke up with unbelievers. And it listen, it never works. I have never seen it work yet. So don't think it's going to work in your life. In verse 17 of chapter 6, it says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so the challenge is this, to constantly make a very decisive decision, no matter what stage I'm in in my life, I cannot compromise who I am. I, I, I must reject the enticement of the world to try to draw me away from my Lord and Savior. And so I reject that portion. Uh, you don't need it. You don't need what the world has. You don't, your children don't need what the world has. Uh, we need Jesus Christ is what we need. So dedicated purpose, a rejected portion. And then I see also in that verse 8, a requested position. I love Daniel, but it's amazing that he's respectful to this eunuch who's over him. And uh, he's not, the eunuch's not the boss that came up with the rules. The king came up with the rules. The eunuch is just enforcing them. And uh, Daniel says, therefore, it says in verse 8, he requested of the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And so he made a request that his position was, I'm not going to take part in this. And so what does that mean? It means to be segregated. And segregated means to be removed from. 
And so Daniel is just being very respectful, very honest. Now listen, I'm, I'm different than you are. God, my God is different than your God. What you're wanting me to do and what you're wanting me to become, I cannot embrace and I can't connect with that. And so I'm just asking you, I'm, I'm pleading with you, just acknowledge the fact that I need to be segregated from all that's in Babylon. I need to be removed from it. And uh, we need to be removed from all that is in this world. And, uh, and Leonard Ravenhill said this, the true man of God is heartsick, grieved at the worldliness of the church, grieved at the toleration of sin in the church, grieved at the prayerlessness in the church. He is disturbed that the corporate prayer of the church no longer pulls down the strongholds of the devil. We're talking about being a greater influence. It would be great for us to be on praying ground that when we pray for something, it happens. When we pray for somebody to be changed, they get changed. And uh, we, need, we need that type of a spirit that rests upon us. But you cannot, you cannot pray down the power of God when you're con consumed with the lust that's in the world. And so uh, we need to be very decisive in our decision so that we might be an influence. I'll tell you, somebody better start influencing this, this world. Somebody better start influencing this state. Uh, somebody better start influencing this, this United States of America because the decisions that are being made, the, the courses that we are, uh, being, are being established for us across this nation are ungodly, they're unholy, they're unnatural, and uh, somebody better start praying down the power of God to start influencing things that they might change. And that's going to require of us to make some very decided, decisive decisions that we will not take part in all that the world has to offer, even if it means I have to lose things. I need to lose them for Christ. And so Paul said those things that he counted as gain, he counted as loss for Christ. And so very decisive decision. In verse 9 and 10 of our chapter, uh, we see a political accreditation. And uh, what I mean by that is this eunuch wanted to be accepted or respected and, and looked at as someone who had the credentials to fulfill the job that he was given to fulfill in preparing these Jewish children to be leaders and instructors in Babylon. And in verse 9, it says this, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with his uh, prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort. Then shall he make me endanger my head to the king. So political accreditation. He wants, a credit, he wants to be acknowledged that he is valuable in fulfilling the job that the king has given him. First of all, notice the intimidation of the world. The intimidation of the world. He says, I fear my lord, the king. 
The king was the one that established the standards. The king is the one who had set the pace. The king is the one who outlined what his expectations were. And now this prince of the eunuchs, he does not know the God of Daniel. He does not know that there is a different way to live. All he knows is he has to answer to the king. And he is afraid of what the outcome is going to be if he gets the wrong product. You know, on the day we're living in, all you have to do is to disagree with somebody and you disagree with them, your, your career is over. It's over. It, it's, it's astonishing to me that no longer can you have a civil discourse of disagreement on something without your life being ruined. And uh, listen, the world likes to intimidate and likes to put people down to force you and push you into conformity of what they want you to be. And, uh, you know, you can't put a square peg into a round hole. That's all there is to it. And uh, as a Christian, we need to take a stand for the Lord and not be intimidated by the world. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Don't be intimidated by the world. And uh, there's constant pressure. I, I tell you, since I've been saved, since I've been a pastor, uh, I tell you, there is constant pressure to bend and to accept the trends that are going on in the world. And as soon as you don't, as soon as you don't, you're marked as being unloving, you're marked as being judgmental, you're marked as being a legalist, you're marked as being a racist, you name whatever it is that you want to tag on somebody, all you have to do is say, I am not going to be intimidated to go along with the world. And you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Daniel was willing to sacrifice it all to take a stand for his God because he knew that if he took a stand for his God, he could be a greater influence in Babylon than what he would be if he fell to the intimidation of the world. So the intimidation. I see the assumption of the world. The assumption is of the world, the eunuch says, why should he see your faces worse? You know what the assumption was of the eunuch was that you're not doing it our way and so you can't be successful. The assumption of the world is if you don't do things the way that they say it ought to be done, there is no way that you can succeed and move ahead in the world. And the sad thing is we have been taught that as Christians that we have to adapt to the world in order to get ahead. And you don't have to violate the principles of God to get ahead. And uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. And I think God says from heaven that he expects greater things, better things from us than what the world has to offer. And the world assumes that you can't uh, make it without adapting to them. 
And the reality is you can. I know, I remember when I went to Bible college, my goodness, so many people were like, well, you can't live. You got to get a job. I said, I don't have a job. They said, how are you going to live? I said, God's going to take care of me. He's going to give me a job. Now, I didn't go to Michigan and just lay around and not try to get a job. I was out pounding the street trying to find a job. But I know this, I, they were assuming that I could not get ahead without already having everything in place. Or they were like, well, you were in the service. You should get the GI Bill. Well, this college I went to wasn't approved by the government to get the GI Bill. Well, you can't get an education. How are you going to pay for your education? The world automatically assumes you can't do it unless you do it their way. And Daniel is saying this, I don't need to do it your way. You may assume that I have to do it that way, but I don't have to do it that way. And I just, I just believe we can be people of faith. I believe we can be different than the world. I, you know, the world assumes that we can't be successful and we can't influence people and we can't change people's lives. But I'm telling you right now, God's on the throne of heaven and God can do what he wants when he feels like doing it. Notice, uh, I, people always ask about uh, if our school's accredited. And I tell them, no, they're not, it's not accredited. Oh, well, well you know I mean, you're not accredited? I said, no. I said, why? I always tell them they get shook up when I, I love the look on parents' face when I tell them this. I always tell them this. Why should I ask for accreditation from an educational system that is failing? If they need, want to talk about accreditation, they need to come see me, and I will give them the standards that will establish accreditation for them. I said, I don't need their stamp of approval, and I don't need to do things the way they do things. We can do things the way God says to do things. So I'm not going to be intimidated, and I'm not going to allow you to assume that I have to conform to some mold that the world establishes. So intimidation of the world, the assumption of the world, letter C there is the destruction of the world. Uh, the eunuch just, I love this. He says, you make me endanger my head. <laughs> he say, he's just simply saying this, what the world doesn't like, it destroys. What the world feels is unnecessary, it does away with it. And he said, Daniel, you're endangering my head. The judgment of the world in which I live, the king, he's going to come after me. What's he doing? He's worrying about political accreditation. He wants to make sure he's looked upon with favor from those that were in power. Andrew Murray said this, A true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and life. And so real revival is not allowing ourselves to be intimidated by the world, not allowing ourselves to be fearful that the world will destroy us, but rather living our life in the reality, wait a minute, that God loves us and God's love always triumphs and uh, let him rule and reign in my heart. William Carey said this, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. We're not going to be able to overcome the influence of the world unless we are great prayer warriors uh, pursuing the Lord 
Daniel knows, we know as you read through the book of Daniel, there'll be a writing that you can't pray to any other God but the image that was established. But I'm going to tell you, Daniel prayed three days, three times a day with in his window, with his window open so everybody could see him. Why? Because he learned the value of prayer before he ever got to that point. So practical evaluation in verse 11 through 14. Notice uh, there's a commitment in time, in verse 12, it says, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. I mean, Daniel was not afraid to put a time limit. Uh, he said, you want to see what God can do? I'm going to tell you how quick God can do. And this, this is what he can do, and this is how he can do it, and this is when he can do it. Just go ahead and try us. Prove us. Test us. And uh, just let me eat pulse. What I understand pulse is is just kind of like a pea soup, and I wouldn't like that. I can tell you that. But anyway... And they were going to drink water, and I wouldn't like that either. I should put some coffee in there, you know. But anyway, <laughs> there was a commitment in time. And, and, and listen, it's all right to make some decisions and some commitments to God and say, Lord, I'd like to do this by this time. And let the world see that you can believe God and trust God and commit your ways to God. So there was a commitment in time. There was a consecration of self, because in verse 12 he says, and let us, I'm sorry, let them give us pulse to eat. So he's, he's putting himself on the line. And it's easy to say someone else needs to be consecrated unto the Lord, but what about ourselves? You say, I want my children really to live for God. Do they see you living for God? Well, I really think the church ought to be excited and fired up about soul winning and praying and believing God. Are you soul winning and praying and believing God? See, he put himself right there. And uh, what a challenge he put before this eunuch. Why? Because he had confidence in faith. In verse 13, uh, it says, Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. I mean, he was confident. He was confident that the outcome was going to be, he was going to be better off than anyone else who could have filed themselves. And uh, what a challenge it is to say, go ahead, you live in the world. You do what the world says. You follow the pattern of what the world says. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to walk with God. And I'll tell you what, 10 years from now, let's see how well you're doing. Let's see what the outcome's going to be. And it, it is an amazing thing. You, you, you cannot escape the principle in the scriptures of sowing and reaping. And I have never seen anybody who sows to the flesh, who sows a life that's consumed with the world, that come out in a positive way on, at the end. It's the people who say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to enjoy what the world has to offer. I'm not going to be able to experience what the world desires for me to experience. I may not be able to get everything that the world has to say, but everything with Jesus is better. So I'm going to walk with Jesus. And in the end, it's going to come out better. I'm going to tell you, my wife and I got saved and we surrendered going to ministry. There were people laughing at us and making fun of us and uh, talking about how uh, crazy we were and everything else. But I'm going to tell you right now, 35 years later, their lives are ruined. Their lives are a mess. I don't know what, what in the world they think life is about, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I've had a time of my life. I'm joying life. 
And I'd rather, I'd rather walk with Jesus than be consumed with the world. You say, well, you don't know how things are going to turn out. No, I don't. But I have confidence that God is still in control of things. Jerry Bridges said this, every day that we're not practicing godliness, we're being conformed to the world of ungodliness around us. You can't have it both ways. I was preaching in chapel last week, and I was just kind of informing the kids and, and, and really confronting them with that. I said, you guys, you cannot have it both ways. I said, and I, I saw the kids were sitting across here, and I was talking to them, and I told them, I said, what I see in front of me is a mighty army. I see a, a mighty group of people with all kinds, young people with all kinds of potential. You have potential that I never was offered when I was your age. My, what it would have been if I could have had that time to start at that young age of living for God and serving the Lord and just thinking what I might have been able to accomplish for the Lord. I said, you realize this? You can't have it both ways. You have to make a decision right now. Either you're going to live for God and walk with God or you're going to allow yourself to be drawn into the world. And you're refusing, many of you are refusing and doubting whether you should surrender your life to Christ because you're trying to figure out and you want to know what your life is going to be and you're not going to know. You just have to have confidence and faith that God's going to work it out okay. Duncan Camel said this. This is a kind of gospel being proclaimed today. I'm sorry, yeah, there is a kind of gospel being proclaimed today. Now, when I read this quote, I thought, when Duncan Campbell was alive, when he was writing this, we would consider it very holy days back then. There is a kind of gospel being proclaimed today which conveniently accommodates itself to the spirit of the age and makes no demand for godliness. We have developed, we really have developed a generation of young people, generation of old people. I said, well, that's okay. As long as you say you love Jesus, it's okay. It doesn't matter how you live. Okay, well, well you, you know, you say you're saved, you're born again, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to be in every church service. You don't have to be a witness. You don't have to live clean. We have developed this mindset that is not biblical at all. And it's because we've lost our confidence that when God says something, we can believe that it'll work out okay to God's glory and to our benefit. Daniel is away from his family. He's away from everything he knew in growing up. He is away from his opportunity to be able to worship his God in the temple in Jerusalem. Everything that is important to him as a Jewish boy is removed and he's smack dab right in the center of Babylon. But Daniel said this, I can still believe my God. And I don't have to define myself. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. You just evaluate me 10 days from now and see what the difference is. So there's a practical evaluation. Then in verse 15 through 21 is a spiritual revelation. In verse 15 and 16, the world is not necessary. <laughs> you need to just get that. It'd be good for your kids to learn that. And in verse 15, it says, At the end 10 days, 
Their countenance appeared fair and fatter. Now I like that, fatter. Uh, in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. What just happened here? Everything that that eunuch felt as though was necessary for them to gain wisdom and knowledge and to be able to be strong and healthy Everything that he believed was necessary, he has just found out is not necessary. And this world is not necessary. I've heard parents over the years say, well, I just, my kids just need to experience what's going on. Are you crazy? Do you understand every time you put your children, your grandchildren in a position where they're experiencing the world, they're experiencing something that is absolutely not necessary for them. They are simply being corrupted and defiled and ruined. Daniel basically is presenting this concept that you're not necessary. We do not need the world to exist. All we need is Jesus Christ and his word and, uh, and we'll work out okay. And so the world is not necessary. Why? Because letter B, God is faithful. In uh, verse 18, it says, Now at the end of the days that the king had said unto he should bring them in, and the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Therefore stood they before the king. See, God's faithfulness in their life gave them all matters of wisdom and understanding. And uh, the amazing thing is God is faithful to strengthen us and bless us as we surrender and make the decisions that we're going to keep him in the priority and the foremost in our life. So God is faithful. And then let her see is kind of like the conclusion, there's an extended opportunity in verse 21. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. So he not only influenced Nebuchadnezzar, he influenced Cyrus. An extended opportunity. And I believe God wants to use us. A.W. Tozer said this, Refuse to be average. Let your, your heart soar as high as it will. Uh, we are stuck in mediocrity in Christianity. We are satisfied with status quo. As a Christian, we're satisfied just to be what we would classify as normal, which really, according to scriptures, is abnormal. And so we ought to soar. We ought to rise up. We ought to allow the Lord to lift us up. We need to refuse to be average. Do something great for God. Have some faith to step out for God. Chuck Swindoll said this, The secret of living a life of excellence is merely a matter of thinking thoughts of excellence. Really, it's a matter of programming our minds with the kind of information that will set us free. That's why Paul says, Let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to think like the world, and that's one of the problems with all these video games and everything else and internet access and you name it, whatever it may be, the problem with it all is that we're gaining the mind of everybody else and we're not gaining the mind of Christ. 
And the world, I mean, is condemning, and the world is ruining, and, and the, the world is destroying people, and uh, we wonder why we're not being successful. And it's because of the fact we're not thinking the reality of who Christ is and what Christ can do in our life. We can have a greater influence. I, I really get kind of tired of different churches, different preachers saying that, well, you know, this doom and gloom and nothing can happen and people can't get saved and you can't have revival and all this. I don't believe that for one minute. I believe that God can do what he wants to do when he feels like doing it. And I think people can be saved in 2019. I believe 2019 can be a great time of opportunity to be able to see the church grow, families restored, people's lives change. I believe that with all my heart. You say, how it's going to take place? It's going to take place when we understand how to be a greater influence, to be able to bring people to Christ. Well, one of those ways is certainly praying, so we need to pray tonight, so I need to stop preaching so we can pray.